Go to the book of Judges. Babe, would you hand me my phone from down there? This is what happens when a pastor forgets his Bible in his office. Yes, that happens sometimes. Don't look at me like you've never forgotten your Bible for something. Goodness gracious. Judges chapter 14, we have been, uh, we've, as I say, we've been, it's only been a week. We've been in a series called Plot Twist where we are looking at the character of Samson. And over the course, I, I think of maybe five or six years, we have taken the opportunity every fall to focus on a specific character in Scripture and just diving in and learning about that character and letting that begin to challenge our lives. I love Samson, and I can't stand Samson all in the same breath just because he is incredibly disappointing if you look past your Sunday school lessons. It is incredibly frustrating, and to be honest, as you're reading it, there's a lot of tension going on in the text itself. So we're going to dive in and we're going to get into, we talked about the birth of Samson or the conception of Samson this week. Today, we're going to talk about his life. Let me ask you this. Is there anybody here at church you try to avoid when you show up? Do not raise your hand nor say anything at this point. Do not nod your head. But I'll be honest, there is a couple individuals once, it's about one season of the year that I try to avoid like the plague here at K-First. Can I admit something to you as a pastor? Is that okay? Thank you. All right, somebody gave me permission so now I can say it. The people that I avoid at a specific time of the year, and you, know who, you already know who you are. That's the thing. They still attend and they know I avoid them. They are the Girl Scouts. And you know what I'm talking about. Because all of a sudden, I don't, I don't remember the Sunday until after the service, I see their cute little faces and they've got those big old pieces of paper and you know what they're going to be hunting you down for. What are they hunting you down for? The cookies. Now, listen, there's not a lot in that cookie list that's very tempting. Like, I like shortbread because I think shortbread is from heaven. What The manna that we read about in the Old Testament was shortbread laying around the, the, the Israelites every single morning. Prove me wrong. You can't. But the one that gets me is the one that Jesus would have had at the Last Supper and will be at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb are the tagalongs. There is the Spirit of God is in the tagalongs. Now, it's not in the Thin Mints because those taste like sin. No, 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 no. No Thin Mints or the Samoas because coconut, that tastes like sin too. So you don't need those. I just talked about unity in the body of Christ. Look at what I'm doing, like ripping it apart right now. But the reason why I avoid them, and this past year I admit, I will confess I gave into temptation, is because once the box of Tagalongs opens up, Once the tagalongs open up, they don't last five minutes, not even ten minutes. They are gone. And so, like, I will try to put them into the freezer and, like, take two out at a time. But the funny is you take two out at a time, and then you, next commercial, you go and you take two more out at a time, then two more. And, and Lord knows, they limit, I swear, they have limited the amount they've put into those packages. It's just not enough. There's things that I just can't allow in my house because I have, I'll admit it, I have no self-control. You don't want to know what's something else? Nutter butters. 
goodness gracious, Jesus is in those. Like, do you love peanut butter, Pastor Dave? You better believe I love peanut butter. All right, let's go over to our non-peanut butter thing. Something that I have no self-control, Fig Newtons. Like, how old are you? I love Fig Newtons. But I can't allow some. There's just certain things in my life I can't, I just can't bring them in the house any longer because I have zero self-control. I'll give you another one. The best cereal ever created, Cookie Crisp. The best. That's why I stick to Bran because nobody runs the Bran. Goodness gracious. Don't look at me. I'm in my 40s. You're supposed to have brand. Goodness gracious. Why are we talking about this? Because there's just something about getting a taste of something that just hits you right, and then all of a sudden you have to have another, and then you have to have another, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there, and there's an empty box, or, your, or your, one of your kids opens up the trash can and sees the box. They're like, really, Dad? Really? We just got those? Really, Dad? You didn't even share them? This, this is the story of Samson. The story of Samson, you cannot talk about Samson without talking about the word compromise. It is impossible to talk about Samson without talking about compromise. Now, Samson was born with a lot going for him. We talked about last week that he was, he was uh, his parents were approached by an angel, and the angel said, you're going to give birth. You have not been able to have children. You're going to have a son, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to, the Spirit of God's going to rest upon him, and he's going to begin to lead his people out of uh, the oppression that the Philistines have brought. And so this guy is born with every type of privilege going for him. His birth has been predicted by the angel. He has godly parents. He is separated as a Nazarite. He experienced the power of God's spirit as a young man. And yet, over and over, we see throughout a story, his life continues to unfold in tragedy. This is proof that you can have the call of God on your life, and you can still miss out on God. You can have people speak over your life. I have people say, I had a good word of prophecy over my life. God's going to do great things. But they won't live according to what God has actually spoken if God's got a calling on your life, God is then call, is calling you to walk in alignment with that. And yet Samson, over and over and over, invites tragedy into his life. This is what brings us into the book of Judges chapter 14. It starts off, Samson went, that, went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. All right, young, young dudes, this is not the way to meet your wife. This is not the way to do it. But, verse 3, his father and mother said, Is there not a woman amongst the daughters of, of your relatives or a, a, amongst all your people that you must go and take away from the uncircumcised Philistine? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, and I need you to underline this. If y'all got your paper Bibles, underline this. Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. If you need a vision statement for Samson's life, if you need a vision statement, a mission statement that Samson would have had engraved and put over his office door, it, was, it would be this. She is right in my eyes. That's Samson's life. It's whatever looks good in his eyes, that's what he's going to go after. That's what he's going to seek his life into. It's whatever looks good. And this particular language is really fascinating because this is also how God described the nation of Israel. When Israel began to wander from him, when Israel began to do their own thing, it would say over and over, and Israel did what was right in their eyes. 
And then so Samson follows suit in the people he has been sent there to save and to help. He does what's right in his eyes. And I'm here to say, this is not an ancient idea. This is something we live in the modern day. Do you know how we say it nowadays? We don't say, well, so-and-so did what's right in their eyes. This is what we say nowadays. They are living out their truth. They're doing their truth. I've had people sit across from me, oh, Pastor Dave, I know what you're preaching, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Can we just call it for what it is? It's opinion. When we say something is my truth, that's just my opinion. And listen, I think that would be a fine thing that if, if that actually worked. Well, what the problem lies is when, what if you get two, two different people, they're married together, and all of a sudden they begin to have different truths, and all of a sudden those different truths are like, well, you're not living my truth, so I'm just going to separate because you're not supporting or living out my truth. The truth thing could work if it actually worked. But the problem is, is every season of life can shift our truth. So if you're building your life upon a little t truth, you're going to literally build your life upon the sand. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the what? Truth. The way and the life. Because if you're going to build your life, you can't build your life on your truth. You've got to build your life on the truth. And the problem that we find with Samson is that Samson is trying to build his life on his own truth. I see what I want. I know what I feel. And therefore, if I feel it's good, if I, in my brain, know it might be good, then that obviously has to be good. But again, that's the problem of what we see in our culture today. Is we're so busy chasing after what makes us feel good in the moment, rather than going after what is truly good in eternity and it's Jesus we got to be the people that run after Jesus and what we see within Samson just in verse 3 she's right in my eyes this is right in my eyes this is what feels good to me this is what makes me feel good this is what makes me feel happy this is this is this is this is how Samson falls I want you to understand something. When it comes to compromise, you don't ruin your life all at once. You gradually compromise one decision at a time. I've had people come at me and say, well, no, no, no. This person ruined their life with this one decision, and I would, I'll argue right back. They didn't, they didn't come to that one decision out of the blue. It was a series of gradual decisions over and over and over and over and over that actually brought them to the thing that took them down. It's not about one decision. Let me encourage some people in the house today. I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ in their life? Man, I am so thankful that when I mess up once that God is just not done with me. God doesn't cancel me because I've messed up. If that's the case, I would have been canceled a long, long, long time ago. And a bunch of times this whole week. But God's grace meets us. God's grace is there for us. And what we've got here is we've got this, we're seeing a little glimpse into Samson where he... He is making a decision in the moment that I guarantee didn't just happen. He didn't just see a hot girl and say, she's mine. But a series of decisions building in his life brought him to the place of compromise. You don't compromise overnight. It's a series of decisions over and over and over. And as shocking as the scripture is there in verse number three, it really is the linchpin for the rest of his story. And what's wild is you can really see the trajectory of his life. Look here, verse 1, 
is, is it gives this fascinating, there's actual Hebrew word to hear. It says in verse 1, Samson went down. That word went down in Hebrew language is hyarda. I can't even say it correctly. Hyarda. I'll say it better a little bit later when I'm not underneath the pressure of the lights here. But the word, it just literally means to go down. And that word is used five times. Four times just in this chapter. In verse 1, verse 5, verse 7, verse 19, and in 15, verse 8. Why is this so important to recognize? Because this whole chapter will show the trajectory of what compromise will do to your life. Because when you see what feels good in the moment, but what you know is not good according to the will of God, it will take you down. It says over and over, and he went down to, to Timnah. Why is Timnah so important? Because Timnah was located in enemy territory. It's going down. This is the story of his life. And so long before we talk about Delilah, we'll talk about Delilah in a few weeks, but that's the most popular part of Samson, isn't it? Samson and Delilah. But long before he compromised with Delilah and messed his life up there, he had series of compromises that actually led there. He got addicted to compromise. Because whatever you, when you build your life with compromise, you have to continue to feed your life with compromise. I wrote it this way. What is born from compromise will have to be fed by compromise. Because what you compromise to keep, you have to keep compromising or else you will actually lose what you got a hold of. And the problem with compromise is, is we compromise because we think the rewards of compromise are greater than the consequences of compromise. I want to say that again. Why do we compromise and why do we give in? Why do we back away from the Lord? Because we think that the reward of the compromise are much sweeter, much greater than the actual consequences of them. And my challenge to you is this, is stay true to what God has called you to. Stay true to what God has planned for you. Stay true to the patterns that God has given you to grow your calling. Samson was born with a calling. And he sacrificed it on the altar of compromise. And some of you are saying, well, Pastor Dave, I haven't been called into anything. God hasn't called me. I will use all the French I know. Au contraire. I believe God has a calling on every single one of your lives. And there, I believe that callings can be looked at in two different ways. Number one, I believe that there are general callings on everybody's life. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, I believe that God has put a calling on your life for what I would call general purposes. What has God called us to? This is not a handful of people. This is not just the pastor. What has he called you to? Number one, to bear the image of God and to restore the image of God. Every single one of us. The Great Commission is wrapped up in this. Matthew chapter 9, uh, 28, verses 19 and 20. This is the Great Commission. Is we receive Christ, and we live out Christ, and we're called to give Christ, to lead people toward Jesus and help them grow and restore the image of God in their lives, to restore the image of God in your marriage, the image of God in your family. God has called us here not to occupy space, but to help restore the image of Jesus Christ all over the greater Kalamazoo area. Somebody say amen to that. This is what God has called us to. It's, it's to general purposes, but also not just general purposes, but I believe that on every individual, he's given us special purposes. Special purposes. What has God called you to? Now, he's called us all to bear his image and to restore the image, but God also has given us callings for different seasons of our life. For 12 years of my life, God called me to be a youth pastor. 12 years. 
God called me to be a youth pastor. And I thank God that he changed and, and metamorphosized that calling because I came here 13 years ago, and this is the season that God has me in. There's sometimes God puts a calling on your life for the duration of your life to be in a mode. But the problem is this, is in the church, especially growing up, we started using the word calling only for who? Ministers and missionaries. Those are the called ones, and then we put all the responsibility of the kingdom on them instead of recognizing that God has called all of us to bear his image and then to build his image and to restore his image. And on top of that, God has got a niche. God has got a direction specifically for you that is not for anybody else. And I'm so thankful that the calling isn't reserved for pastors because God's called teachers. God's called engineers. God's called social workers. God's called counselors. God's called homemakers. God has called you. And so you're not here to take up space. You're not here just to occupy a space until Jesus comes. Some of us, we've spent so much time just occupying a space. I'm just waiting until Jesus comes. Jesus never told us to wait it out here on this earth. He said it's time to occupy. It's time to get to work. It's time to bear his image and then to spread that image and to restore that image to the world around us. But it's got a calling. And some of you, you need to start praying about what has God called you to? Some of us are so busy trying to chase the title, not recognizing that we need to wake up and realize that what God has called you to, many of you, is right here in front of you. It's placed callings on your life. And the problem is, is compromise begins to pull us away from our general calling and even our specific callings. Samson, his whole story, we didn't even get him born last week. This whole story begins really with compromise. My challenge is this. You need to know you. You need to know your limits. And you need to know what God wants for you. Because some of us in this room, that there are some areas of compromise that we might be more susceptible than to other people. So you gotta know you, you gotta know what God's called you to, you gotta know where the limits are, you gotta know what God, the, the boundaries that God has given you, and you've got to know what God wants for you and to go after it. Now, some of you are like, well, Pastor, if compromise can be a good thing, I, I will agree with you. In marriage, compromise is a good thing. Thank you, Karen, for the one amen. The rest of you marriages, we're going to get you signed up for a class. Compromise can be very good. What's compromise is when the both of you can give in a, a little bit here and there, or, you know, you're, you're working through a situation. Uh, compromise can be good in business, where you're trying to come to an agreement, maybe with a vendor or, uh, or a lender or with another business. Uh, friendships, uh, that needs some compromise. But when it comes to sin... There's no room for compromise. There's no room for compromise. There's no room for compromise. Why? Because every sin begins with a seed of compromise. Every sin begins with a seed of compromise. I was uh, reading an article, and, I, and my, 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 I think my family just knows when I've studied something, I'm like, because I'll ask something very random. So yesterday, I'm like, hey, question. What is the most dangerous animal to a lion? And so I don't know what pops up in your head. And so we've got different animals that get tossed out like a hippopotamus. Did you know the hippopotamus are like one of the most dangerous animals on the planet? Some of you got your idea of hippos from Hungry Hungry Hippo. 
literally one of the most dangerous things on the planet. But uh, yeah, hippos are dangerous to lions. Uh, giraffes are dangerous to lions. Uh, the lions are dangerous to lions. But I was reading a few articles, and one in particular said this is the most dangerous animal to a lion, and it actually shocked me. It's a porcupine. Something so simple. Small in comparison to most other things it would hunt. But the problem is, is if, an, if a lion attacks a porcupine, we already know what's going to happen. A small quill or quills could get lodged in its mouth, on its face, in its paws, and then it can't get those quills out. There's nobody to help it. And so what ends up happening to a lion is, the, is where those small little quills got in, infection begins to develop, and lions have been known to lose their teeth because of it. To lose, uh, cl claws can fall out. It can die. Can I tell you what's dangerous for humans is a sick lion because lions actually hunt humans when they're sick because they're like, oh, those are easy prey. Did you know that? I learned a lot about lions this week. By the way, my lions are favored today. Anyway. Snuck that one in. Do you want to know how to create a toothless Christian? One compromise at a time. You want to know how to lose your bite, how to lose your roar. Almost got into a Katy Perry song right there. <laughs> if you want to know how to lose effectiveness, it's the compromise. It's one at a time. And so this morning, I want to look at the scriptures here, and I want, to give you, I want to give you some blues clues to help you to not compromise. Can I do that this morning? Do a little blues clues this morning. I want to help you to not compromise. So look at this with me. Verse number, verse number one and two. Let's just stick with that. Samson went down to Timnah. Where's Timnah? Timnah's with the Philistines. And at Timnah, it's repeated again, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, over and over and over, it's, we're, we're being told this is important. He has wandered away from his own camp, and he is with the enemy. And then he says this, I saw one of the daughters, now get her for me. If you want a first step, a first stage, a blues clue into when you are starting to compromise, I want you to write down these three words, I want it. I want it. It's when we look at something, and instead of using the wisdom of God, instead of using the direction of God, instead of leaning into the word of God, we bypass anything that is of Jesus, and we look at something, and regardless of whether it's good or bad for us, or the best thing for us, or sin, we just look at it and we say, we want it. We want it. And we let what's called, the scripture calls, the lust of our flesh. Uh, if you need a good definition of lust, I just wrote this simply in my notes. It's unbridled desire. Well, if I, if I want it, that means God must want me to have it. You want to know how many times I've had that in my counseling chambers, not just as a youth pastor, but as a lead pastor with adults? Well, why would God give me the desire if I can't act upon that desire? Because everything that God gives you is not just there to be exercised, it's there to be a steward of it. 
God has given us everything to be a steward. And when we begin to compromise, when we begin to slip into the place of lust and that unbridled desire, we begin to forego all logic that would say this is right or this is wrong. And we go after things with reckless abandonment. Why? Because I want it. It was the old, old fast food commercial years ago. I want it my way right away. Nobody got that one. Dear Lord, I'm old. I want it. It's got to be mine. And so Samson looks at his parents without the option, without seeking wisdom. Man, you want to know the sure sign of compromise is when you are making big decisions and you refuse to get wisdom around them. That's why we ought to be in the counsel of godly people. And pastor, I can't make decisions on my own. Listen, I'm just telling you, uh, you've heard me say it for 13 years. The enemy works in isolation. God works in community. Get in healthy community. Get involved in a table. Get involved in a team. Get people in your life where you can bounce things off. I've been on the phone this week with pastors that I look at as mentors, asking them questions about things in my life. Why? We need help. Because if we don't get godly help and direction, then the want, the desire of our flesh, will latch on the things and will not let go. And that leads me toward the next three words. Write these three down. It's not just I want it, but secondly, I deserve it. I deserve it. Judges chapter, four, uh, chapter 14, verse 5 through 6 say, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came to him roaring, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I'll be honest, I really have no idea what it means to tear a goat. I don't know if I want to know what it means to tear a goat. But it says this, but he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Now, now n- n- note this. Last week we talked about the Nazarite vow. What was the Nazarite vow? Do you remember? First of all, don't touch anything in the vine, specifically drinking. Why? Because it would mess with your mind. It alters your mind and you wanted focused thinking. Number two, don't touch anything dead because dead things would give you a broken relationship with God. You would have to go seven days of getting yourself cleansed to get reconnected to God. And Nazarites, we won't go near anything because we want to stay ultimately and, and consistently connected to God. And then the third thing was don't cut the hair because there was an outside sign that my life is belonging to the Lord. Where did Samson go? It starts off, this literal portion starts off with him saying that they went down and they came to what? A vineyard. He's supposed to stay away from a vineyard. Then he goes down and he kills this lion. Now let's skip down here to verse number eight and nine. It says, after some days he returned to take her, he returned to get his wife, and he turned aside to see the carcass, the dead carcass of a lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of a lion and honey, in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out with his hands, and he went on eating it as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave them some, and he ate, but did not tell them that he had scraped honey from the carcass of a lion. Well, can we admit how disgusting this is to begin with? You see a dead carcass, and you're like, What in you, how demented or how desperate are you if you saw a rotting corpse of an animal, but, oh, wait, but there's honey in there. Some of you drop a Skittle on the ground and you won't eat it just because it touched the ground. This guy reaches inside a dead carcass. Thus, he's in a vineyard, which he shouldn't have been, and he's now touching an animal 
which he shouldn't have touched, and immediately he has broken two of his vows to the Lord. And the question is, why would he do it? Why just for literally a handful of honey? And let's talk about how disgusting it is. It says he took a handful of honey, ate it, and he carried it to his parents in his hand. This is really disturbing. I'm not a germaphobe, but this would make me become one. But he literally, he broke his Nazarite vow for just a taste of something sweet. Who would be stupid enough to betray God for a handful of honey? Well, we can say, well, Samson is obviously stupid enough, but you know what? I think sometimes we can be Samson. Because there's something in front of us that is so sweet. It's sweet to look at on the computer. It's sweet to touch, but my spouse won't know. It's sweet to do, but my business will never find out. It's just something so sweet that moves you enough to get out of the comfort zone, to get out of the place where maybe God even wanted you to be, and to forego everything that God has challenged you to be, everything God has challenged you to live out, the calling he's placed upon your life. There's so much that God has in store, but there's something about the sweetness of that which is right in front of you. And so we end up compromising, and we reach into something dead, and we bring it out, and in the moment it's sweet, but what we don't recognize is we literally have stepped away from God. This is compromise. I want it. I deserve it. Number three, I can handle it. Do you see the progression that we've got going on here? I want it. I want it. I want it. Well, of course I want it. I deserve it. And then the sad song for so many people caught up in compromise is I can handle this. I am strong enough to handle. I know I'm going into a, a situation I shouldn't even be in, but I can handle it. I know my God is with me. I've heard that from so many people. Pastor, I, I, I know this kind of looks sketchy, but it's okay because I know the Lord is with me and he still loves me. I'm like, listen, my parents love, has loved me for my entirety of my life. It doesn't mean that once have they approved of every decision I've ever made. Your decision doesn't compromise the love of God. It compromises you. God's love is there, but it's compromising you. It could compromise your calling. Honestly, it could compromise your marriage. It can compromise relationships. It could compromise your standing with the Lord. He still loves you, but you're stepping out of relationship with him. And he says, I can handle this. Judges 14, verse 10. It says, man, I missed my paper Bible. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there. For so the young men used to do. Here, in this culture, the, the men prepared the feast for weddings. And this word in the Hebrew language literally means an occasion for drinking. What is part of his Nazarite vow? I can handle this. I can handle this. I remind you, we don't ruin our lives by one decision. We gradually compromise decision after decision after decision. And now, if you know the story of Samson, some of you, you're new to Christianity, you're like, man, this is like really good stuff. You don't even know the end of the story. But for those of you that know the story well, you'll recognize that like with the lion, then later with the Philistines, with the jawbone, with all, with all sorts of things, he has victory. And sometimes we mistake in thinking, well, well, God approved because of the victories, but I want to really challenge you that this, these passages are full of tension. And if you have never read your Bible, I'm just going to tell you, when you read your Bible, you will read a lot of tension. Because when I read my Bible, I get questions for God. 
that I don't understand certain things. And here's the tension where that we've got a guy that's separating himself and making wrong decisions, and yet God's Spirit is still using him in moments. But this is something I really want to challenge you in this morning, is we must not confuse the patience of God with the permission of God. We cannot confuse the patience of God with the permission. The patience of God that God's patience is upon us, working, working in us, working through us, helping us work through the flesh and the things. When we ourselves look at things, we look at sin, and we say, we want it, we deserve it, I can handle this. We do this over and over. I'm so thankful for the grace that has patience. But understand that God's patience does not always mean his permission. And God used Samson, I believe, not because Samson deserved it. He had victories in spite of Samson, not because of Samson. And Samson's unwillingness to discipline himself physically was a symptom of his unwillingness to discipline himself spiritually. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. Not being able to handle his everyday decisions were a symptom of what was going on deep down inside. One of my beliefs as I'm reading the story is Samson was born with a calling on his life, born with a calling that was placed upon him. But for a season, a good season of his life, he looked at that calling, and it was never the calling he chose to follow. It was the calling he inherited. And listen, God has called all of us to be followers of him, but it's up to us for us to choose it. We've got to choose it. I can have a keyboard. Help me wrap things up. That would be amazing. Samson, set apart. Set aside. Remember what we talked about last week when we talked about holiness? Holiness is literally set apart and special. And we said this last week, the opposite of holiness is not evil. The opposite of holiness is common. And God has not called us to be common. Scripture says in the, uh, in the book of 1 Peter, for you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people called forth out of darkness and a marvelous light. You are chosen. So the challenge I give you with this is battling compromise. How do we battle compromise? How do we step forward? I'm just going to give you really simple steps to help work on compromise that I think we need to do before the Lord this morning. So if you're a note taker, just write down these three words. I want you to write down the words transparency. I want you to write down humility. I want you to write down vulnerability. Because again, this is the progression. Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice the scripture doesn't say, be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. I talked to a, a group of, of uh, ministers in training in Baltimore. I was on Zoom and talked to them in Baltimore. We actually talked a lot about this. We were talking about depression. We are talking about inner darkness. And when we're going through the times and the, and the, and the tri trials of our life, we're not called to be strong in and of yourself. We're called to be strong in the Lord. Secondly, it says in James chapter 5, verse 16. Thank you, Josh. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power and is working. It's time for us to be transparent. 
Pastor, you mean I gotta be transparent with you? Do I need to come to you for confession? I'm not saying that whatsoever, but there's something that I believe that, that the Catholics have that we have lost out on, and it is the power of actually confessing. You know, but you don't need to come to me. Some of us need to confess things before the Lord to begin to say, listen, God, I haven't been right with you and I haven't been working, I haven't been working in alliance with your calling that you've placed upon my life. It's time for us to be vulnerable with the Lord and open and just simply be transparent. Listen, God already knows your dirt, but he's waiting for you to own it and to turn toward him and to simply be transparent which leads us toward humility. Romans chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, we need humility, recognizing that without God, we've got, we've got a sentence of death over our lives. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. Proverbs chapter 16 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. We, we need not just be transparent before the Lord, but we need to humble ourselves. But I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. The problem with all three of those statements is they begin with I. We need humility. And lastly, vulnerability. Vulnerability. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Now get a hold of this. No temptation, the scripture says, has overtaken you that's not common to man. In other words, you're not the first to go through it. You're not the only one to go through it. It says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. To endure it. Now look at this. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. The problem is, is God does not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, but you know what we do is we allow ourselves to be tempted beyond our ability. It is time for us to be vulnerable with God, to say, I need I read an article this past week talking about a man by the name of Ralph Houck, who was the manager of the New York Yankees. And this was in the day where baseball schedules were more exacting than they are right now, and they had double headers almost every single week. And occasionally a player would get sick of the grind and would approach his coach asking for permission to sit out a game. And the coach would say this, I know how you feel, but why don't you do this? You can take the day off, but do me a favor. Just be in the starting lineup, play one inning, and then you can skip the rest of the game. And that player would honor his manager's request. And what would end up happening is because of the one inning, that player would get so caught up in the competition, he would play the rest of the game. Just play one inning. But Samson, he collapsed from compromise because he gave sin one inning, one moment, one opportunity. And that opportunity developed into another opportunity, another opportunity, another tag along, another nutter butter, another, another. And what's wild is, is when compromise begins to begin to be this repertoire, this carousel in your life, compromise then brings us into this place of sin and literally wants to destroy. Satan knew the potential of Samson. And the thing is, I don't think Samson ever saw it. 
But my challenge this morning is, are there areas in your life where you are allowing compromise? Are there areas of your marriage, you as a a couple, you should sit down and just begin to say, where have we allowed our marriage to compromise? As a family, what have we allowed in our homes and our lives? Where has there been compromise? And I know today is a bit heavier than, than last week, but this is the truth about this champion that had so much going for him, but began to sacrifice it on the altar of compromise. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm done yakking.